Good evening, y'all. Been working on my Southern now for seven years, married to, Char uh, to Lori. We live in Charlotte, and uh, it's uh, getting easier and easier for me to say y'all. <laughs> so I'm fixing to preach. <laughs> All of y'all. It's the most difficult language I've ever tackled, Southern, because there's an understanding that when you speak it, the audience understands it. <laughs> and sometimes when I speak my new southern phrases to my family in the West, uh, they don't get it. But uh, I'd like you to welcome uh, my teacher of southernese, Lori Koch. This is my teacher. <laughs> she has the biggest job on the planet Earth, and that is taking care of me. <laughs> so one of the things that she says that's Southern that some of you will understand, and those of you from Scotland will need an interpreter. She says, I'm a mess. How many understood that completely? Uh, now, only the women will understand this. Sometimes when I'm dressed up, I'm, according to her, a hot mayus. Does anybody understand what a hot? She'll see people out in the mall, and she'll say, now that's a hot mess. So anyway, I have fun with this. Uh, wife of mine. She's lovely and uh, takes very good care of me and uh, lets me go out of the house on occasion. <laughs> and uh, once in a while when she visits her family, leaves me at home, and uh, she takes away the credit cards and the money and the car, so I have no access to 7-Elevens and <laughs> my favorite food group, which is, of course, good and plenty. Kennedy and Cheetos. How many are in that food group? Uh, but I'm not allowed these things. Thank you for coming. You honor Jim and uh, Tom and CBU, but you honor June and myself as well. Now, I speak to all kinds of gatherings, not just sacred, but to secular. And the first thing we have to establish is the ground rules because I have found out that I can say things using the same words to one group and then use them in the next group and they're inflammatory. A meeting like this talking about the power of the Holy Spirit is acceptable here and you all understand it. It has a book of Acts an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a Pentecostal charismatic renewal, acceptable flavor to it. But you ought to see what happens when I address Southern Baptist Convention and talk about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like when I address a synagogue or a Jewish group and speak to them, the things that we say from the same book often have different meanings. 
and uh, I was driving up here tonight preparing for a speech that I will deliver in the summer of 2016 in Jerusalem. And uh, when I say to Jewish people, when I'm referring to the Torah, to you the Pentateuch, and uh, I say the word DNA, the Jewish audience begins to think, well, he's talking about whether they're a descendant of the Kohanim or the Levi or the Reubenites. A DNA to them would be that you are a descendant of someone biblical. But when I'm speaking about the Torah to a Christian group and use the acronym DNA, they say, does not apply. So uh, people are so ignorant in the church that when you say something about the Bible, we don't think we are observing the Torah. And you all in this room, let's all take a deep breath. Observe probably 260 of the commandments and you don't even know that you are. So I announce that you're Jewish. Anyway. <laughs> How many have been circumcised? <laughs> so you're all Jewish. Such is the message this weekend. You shall receive power. Now, we fail to quote, and I will spend the beginning and the end of these meetings together with you, and uh, we fail to quote the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit, and the purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is to witness. That verse is very clear. You shall receive power after that. The Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses unto me. So we have to do a power of the Holy Spirit 101 here. How many drove up in a car this uh, time to the mountain to, to Montreal? How many drove in an automobile? Uh, as was attested by June, how many of you put $10 of gas <laughs> which really cost you now 40 How many put the $10 in your car? So the power of the car was what food you put in it. Uh, any pyrotechnics here? Anybody who likes 4th of July fireworks? Let me see who likes to blow things up and burn things up. Let me see. All the young people raise their hands and all their grandparents are terrorized. But uh, in any case, the power of 4th of July is black powder. And the power of fighting ISIS is the same thing contained in a metal container. But whatever is going to release the power has to have what causes the power in them as food. So we begin with the lecture that the power of the Holy Spirit has to do with the food that you eat. Now I want to make sure I'm in the right crowd. How many are pretty fanatical about this guy, Jesus? Now, you're not as excited as I had hoped. How many are really fanatical about Jesus? And how many believe that that Jesus is the Word of God? Yes. Anybody happen to believe it's God incarnated and became flesh and dwelt among us? So you have the Word of God in three forms. You can hear it spoken and God said. Or you can have it written, the Word of God. We call it the Bible. Or you can have the word of God become flesh. So you can have it spoken, written, or incarnated. But the word of God nonetheless is the fuel that the Holy Spirit uses to cause you to witness. And without the word of God, 
you're just looking for goosebumps. And I have found far too many charismatics that associate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit with a feeling. And while it can be good and exciting, there are bad days ahead. And you're going to go up and you're going to go down. But I want to tell you, the reservoir of the word of God in you will never fail you. Because whether you feel good or you feel poorly, the power of the Holy Spirit will be released when, when what? The power of the Holy Spirit will be released when God's people eat, live, and teach his word. I'm living in the 2015 era, and I had no plans past the year 1992. I was 50 in 1992, and that's when my grandfather died of black lung from the coal mines of Rock Springs, Wyoming. So I thought everybody died at old age, 50. How many are still pumping your heart around, and you're still eating and dragging that right foot? And uh, you're past 50. Anybody past 50 in this room? I see somebody with snow on their roof. Anyway, when is this power released? It's when God's people <coughs> eat, live, and teach his word. And we are now in an era of a wordless church. Amen. When I hear grace replacing obedience to God's command. And when I hear God's word ignored for light shows and rock and roll things, when an hour-long service contains no Bible reading and no Bible preaching, and we wonder why the church is so impotent that a 32,000-member church in South Carolina that meets in nine campuses with the laser light shows had no problem when their pastor last Christmas Eve said, there is no Hebrew word for the word command. And the Ten Commandments don't mean anything what you think they say. They're not commandments. He said, thou shalt not commit adultery is not a command. It actually meant God was saying, don't feel guilty when you do. And not one of the 32,000 members objected. We're in a wordless situation. And that's why the church is impotent and powerless in the United States of America. Read this slide with me. The power of the Holy Spirit is released when? God's people eat, live, and teach his word. Now we're going to look at this in three sections, and hopefully we will be done by 10 o'clock. Section one, what is the role of the Holy Spirit in this food-eating business? Digesting, living, and testifying from this book. Does anybody love this book? Yes. You can even get saved with a King James Version. <laughs> By the way, for those that don't know, the word ye in the King James is plural of you. So if you never understood that, whenever you see ye, it means more than one. It's like the southern y'all, which is singular, and all y'all, which is plural. <laughs> So all y'all in King James English is ye, and you is singular. How many have now got that straight? Well, the first thing we have to lay down here is if we're going to have the Holy Spirit's power this weekend, we need to acknowledge something, that the Holy Spirit authored God's Word. This book was written 
by the Holy Spirit. That's why it has Holy Spirit power when it's eaten, digested, and released. The author is released when you learn what he wrote, when it changes your life, and when you testify publicly. Now we look at some scripture verses to document what we're saying. The Holy Spirit authored God's word. First of all, the Torah itself says, and this is where I'm going to pause so you can give God a praise offering, that Exodus 31.18 says the Torah on Mount Sinai was written by the finger of God. I don't know how you get excited. I don't know whether or not Oregon losing to Ohio State made one difference to you or not. It upset me no end being an Oregon duck, but nonetheless... Folks, the finger of God wrote the Torah. This is not authored by a man. God wrote this book. That's why it has God's power. Now, the Bible technically is the Torah. Everything else is commentary. There's nothing new in your Bible after the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy onward explains the first five books either by example or by Uh, Midrash, which is a Hebrew word by sermonizing, by explaining. It gives you people who obeyed or disobeyed a commandment of God and what the results were. So everything is contained in the Torah. All else is explained afterwards. In fact, when the Torah was taken away from the Jews and they couldn't read it publicly, what they did was started reading the Torah from the book of Kings, from the book of Isaiah. And so they invented a whole system of things called the Haftorah, And they were allowed to read the book of uh, Kings or the book of Isaiah publicly. But what they were really reading was the Torah. Because those men were quoting the Torah. The Apostle Paul quotes the Torah. You call it the book of Romans. The Apostle James quotes the Torah. You call it the book of Jacobus. The Apostle John quotes the Torah. In fact, let's all just kind of hold each other's hands. No author of the New Testament ever quoted the New Testament. Are you hanging on? (laughs) So what do we say about the New Testament? Secondly, we read in Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, that the word was written by men who were moved by the Holy Spirit. Paul's epistles were not written literally by the finger of God like the Torah of Moses but they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The author, therefore, of both testaments is the Holy Spirit. Give God a praise offering. Now then, who are we? We move, secondly, to being a definition of us. Who are we? We are the sons of God who are what? I don't know how you do things, but we prepare. Lori and I, wherever we go to a meeting, we're prepared for everything, including the offering. And we give our offerings, and, and uh, we're prepared. We, we're not caught by surprise uh, when the boys begin to sing and, and dance. That's a little subtle suggestion. Uh, <laughs> but we are led by the Holy Spirit. The Israelis were led by the Holy Spirit in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. I led you into the wilderness. And then in Deuteronomy 29, 5 through 9, you are told why God led them out there into the wilderness. 
to prove them, to find out what was in their hearts, and so on and so forth. So sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit. Secondly, in the New Testament, we find the very same quote of Jesus, who, by the way, is Jewish. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 said, He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Paul is right when he says to us, The sons of God are led by the Holy Spirit. I know you had some thought of choice of being here this weekend. That's why I thank you for coming. But in fact, this room will never assemble exactly like it is tonight, even this weekend. And I believe every one of you were brought here by the Holy Spirit. And you are sitting in the exact chair he wanted you to and beside the right person beside you. So quit annoying him. And if you fall asleep, don't fall on them. They're listening. So please understand, this is serious business. To be led by the Holy Spirit is not tugged, pulled. To be led by the Holy Spirit is a prompting that I cannot explain to you because it's different in every biblical account. There's just a sense of knowing you've arrived at the right place at the right time. So we have the book authored by the Holy Spirit, and we are people led by the Holy Spirit. How many think there's a rare chance that the same Holy Spirit who authors and leads probably knows what he's doing? Now we're going to talk about biblical examples since I'm an easy mark. I am an example that should never be used. I train young ministers around the world to use humor to open the learning gate. If you laugh, you'll learn more. So I'm in India, and I'm teaching humor to people who live in the temperate zones where it never gets below 80 degrees. They're Christians, so I assume they'll know this joke. I ask them, how many D's in the... In, in Rudolph. So everyone responded one. And I said, no, there's 156. Now remember where I am. And they've never seen snow. They have no clue about reindeer or Santa Claus. And I said, there's 156 D's in Rudolph. Let's all sing it together. D, 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 D. Now you laugh because you have a cultural receptor. They looked at me like I had dropped from space. <laughs> so I'm not a good example to tell anybody, follow after him. My wife has a job of keeping me on a diet. So CBU sees to it that I break that diet when I come here. In my room, they have a little goodie bag with all kinds of things that diabetics should never touch. Lori said, I'm going down to the store and I'm going to do a little shopping. And I saw an hour and a half opportunity right now. <laughs> so she came back and the Cheetos were in the trash can. I mean, the bag. And uh, I told her later, I don't know why I'm not feeling well. Anyway, I'm not a good example. So we'll use a biblical example of Esther. The Holy Spirit authors and the Holy Spirit leads. Now we want to put an example before you 
as Esther being a type of the bride of Christ. In Esther chapter 4, verse 14, her uncle and adopting father, Mordecai says, you better do something now. And if you don't do it to save the Jewish people from the wrath of Haman, someone else God will call to do it. So you're here this weekend to hear this message. You can leave here and do nothing about it, but I believe the answer of the uncle to her, you were born for such a time as this. There are opportunities given to you by the Holy Spirit to be useful to God, to just give a message that will impact nations. One little Jewish girl who had become orphaned changed history. And during Purim last month, when we read the passage to our congregation out loudly and instructed the children to yell and boo and hiss every time they heard the word Haman and cheer when they heard the word Mordecai so that little children learned to acknowledge the difference between good and evil, I started hearing the current Israeli situation and I began to understand Benjamin Netanyahu's speech to the United States Congress. Esther's a little Jewish girl in a sea of Gentiles. And she was born for such a time as this. And there's something that is very important in chapter 2, verse 4, that is said of her by her uncle. And this is what is said. The maiden, Esther 2, 4, who would be queen, pleases the king. <coughs> you want to be queen? You want to be used by God? You want to have the power of the Holy Spirit on you to witness? Then learn to please the king. The king in our case is whom? Pleasing the king is the same goal as ours. Esther is our example. Our goal is to please the Lord Jesus Christ. We are told by Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 that we are to make it our goal. What is your goal? To build a church? No. What is your goal? To attract thousands to a not? No. What is your goal? To amass a lot of money? No. What is your goal? As a person led by the Spirit of God, you have to make it your goal to please Him. It's not something that comes the day you gave your life to Christ. We have appetites that have to change. And that's why we put the Holy Spirit fuel in us to change us to please him. This is a family album regarding the man you are fixing to marry. This is all about Jesus Christ. This is who he is, what he likes, and what he is like. And by the way, a few things about what he does not like. How many want to have your goal to please him? Amen. Second of all, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, you have to find out what pleases him. It's not apparent living in sin, suddenly saved, suddenly baptized in the Holy Spirit, suddenly launched into this thing called the charismatic renewal. It's not self-evident. Because we come from the Anglicans, we come from the Presbyterians, we come from the Baptists, we come from the Pentecostals. 
We all have heard what pleases the pastor or the session or the church, whatever. We all know what pleases men, but how many know that you have to find out what pleases him? Wouldn't it be great if we had a book that tells us exactly what pleases him? Wouldn't it be fabulous? This is not the Bible. If you're Jewish, this is called the Ketuvah, the marriage document. This document tells you what he's like and what he likes and what he does not like. Well, how do we please him? When we begin to read the New Testament, one of the disciples whom he loved writes these words. The how of pleasing him is obeying his command. How do we please him? We obey what he tell, instructs us. And right away, the first thing that comes up in a Christian's mind, oh my goodness, there goes my lobster, my shrimp, and my ham sandwich. <laughs> and we search the scriptures and falsely quote the book of Acts to allow ourselves to eat displeasing food to our Savior. I got news for you all. There's no pork barbecue in heaven. <laughs> Sorry, there's no shrimp in, on the barbie. Don't mean to pry, but I hope you enjoyed supper here tonight. <laughs> John chapter 14, verse 15, is your husband himself speaking. It's not just John. What does Jesus himself say? If you what? You will what? Oh, certainly that can't mean anything except just love because he gave a new commandment. And he did away with all the other. We're just supposed to love. No, the reason why I don't commit adultery against my wife Lori and against God is because I love her. The facilitator of obedience is love. You will not be motivated to change anything in your life without the love and the passion that you have for the man you're going to marry. If you want to know that, Look at 2 John chapter 6, which only has one chapter. Verse number 6, 2 John verse 6. And here's the definition of this new commandment. Let's all read it together. And this is love. Say it. And this is love. That we what? Oh, my goodness. We're not filled with the word of God, folks. Otherwise, we would be seeking to what? So now that I've worn out my welcome, let's go back to Esther. I anticipated your silence, so I put this slide back to Esther. <laughs> Esther had something going for her that we've got going for us. I cannot tell you to stop eating ham because it's none of my business. Why? You're in a personal relationship with a new man called Jesus. And if I interfere, I'm in a love triangle. It's not my business. I never have told June and Jean one way to kiss or not kiss, hold hands or not hold hands. It's none of my business. Am I correct? The Bible's so clear on that, it says that the bed is undefiled. It's pretty clear and pretty graphic. It's none of my business, so I can't interfere with you. Who alone can tell you what pleases him? But if you don't read his word. So, 
Esther has something going for her in Esther chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And verse 15, we find out that there was a man working for the king who had thrown away his wife Vashti and was looking for a new one because his wife refused to come to a banquet called in her honor. Hello, the king of kings has invited the whole world, but there's a lot of people not responding to the banquet. So he's going to get rid of them but he's going to invite somebody to be his bride. Can you get excited? And he has someone to prepare you to know what pleases him. Haggai is a man who's working for the king, and his job is to find 27 virgins from all over the kingdom of Persia, all the way from Africa to India, he finds the most beautiful young girls from all of those kingdoms. And right in the home kingdom, in the city of Sushan, is this beautiful Jewish girl named Hadassah. That's her Hebrew name. Her Persian name is Esther. And he takes a shine to her. Folks, I want to tell you something. I've learned this southern phrase, taking a shine to something. I want to tell you this group is special because God's Holy Spirit has taken a shine to CBU. God's pleased with what he sees and you, those who support this ministry, and he has someone to help prepare you to marry the king. Can you give God a praise offering? What did Esther get from Haggai? Listen to what she gets. He pleased this, she pleased Haggai so much. So she obtained his kindness. That kind of means she became the favorite of the 27. He took a shine to her. So what did he do for her? He speedily gave her the things for purification. Why were they in purification for one year? The king wasn't going to marry somebody that was pregnant. You got it? Do I have to be clear? So they had to go through the purification for one year, and she was treated with favoritism regarding those things. She got the best oils, the best bath salts. She got it all. Not only that, he gave her preferred accommodations. You get the first room out of 27. Jim is so kind to me, he gave me the room that all I have to do is get out of bed and fall down the stairwell, and I'm here. <laughs> Tom, I don't know if you made that decision or whether Jim did, but I want to thank you on behalf of my legs, which I used to have. And uh, was there some consideration getting me close here? Somebody nod their head. Yeah, okay, thank you. Whoever was taking care of Esther preferred her and gave her the room closest. This isn't the best one. This guy, Haggai, when she asked him, now I noticed the other 26 girls. They're all beautiful. But each one is trying to give and outgive the other. One has gold, one has silver, one has pearls. And they're giving these gifts to the king to try to get his attention over the other girl. What do you suggest I give? And Haggai said, nothing. Yourself. You're the gift. If he doesn't choose you on the basis of who you are, you shouldn't be uh, queen. 
Now, I'm building a case because we're trying to please the king. Amen? Amen. And like the Holy Spirit, what do we have? Like Esther, excuse me, what do we have? We have what? The Holy Spirit. Hands of honest people, these two sections do not respond. We want to spot the sinners over here. Are you with me? How many of in this section over here to my far right have ever been convicted by the Holy Spirit due to something you didn't do? You displeased the Lord and you knew it. Look at those sinners. Aren't they terrible? <laughs> now, I want you to cheer when these two sections raise their hands. On one, two, three. How many have ever felt that conviction? We have the Holy Spirit preparing us. We call it being led by the Holy Spirit, but he's preparing us to marry who? And by the way, he's one year closer than, to coming than he was last year. Since loving Jesus is obeying his word, who better than the Holy Spirit the author of the word to prepare us. How many like that phrase in Genesis where God said to the spirit, let us make man in our son's image. How many are made in the image of Christ? And it's our job as shepherds to make you into that image of Christ. How many want to look just like him like the scripture says, that when he comes, you shall see him, and you shall be exactly like him, for you shall see him as he is. I get excited sometimes, so forgive me. I'm the token Catholic Baptocostal here. <laughs> so we got the author and the person who leads as the one to train us and prepare us. Who knows best what Jesus likes? The Holy Spirit. Who knows best what he's like? Young ladies in the back row, are any of you married? Good. Here's some advice. When a boy asks you to date him, you go talk to his mother right, right away. You talk first. She'll be, she'll be so deadpan honest, the boy probably won't have a second chance at you. But who knows best? How many in this room know the pain and the agony of having lied to your mother and she knew it the moment you did it and you wondered how in this world did she know? <laughs> Carl, did you break that window in the garage? No, mom. A stone just flew out of the driveway. I, it was amazing to me. <laughs> Wham. Not because I did it. Who know why I got the spanking? I lied. How many mothers know what I'm talking about with your teenagers? Dads just kind of sit there and they don't really know what's going on. But mom, moms, moms know. So when you're talking to the Holy Spirit, we finally get to move to section two, Jesus' interaction regarding the Holy Spirit. Let's look at his instructions. What does Jesus have to say regarding the Holy Spirit? If he's the prize, if he's going to be our husband, if we're going to marry him, and the Holy Spirit's preparing us to do that, what are his instructions concerning the Holy Spirit? Well, let's look at what he said 
before the crucifixion. In Luke chapter 12, verse 49, when talking to his disciples and to the Jewish people around him, he's talking about a fire that must be kindled and a second fire that he has to go through. The fire that he has to go through, of course, is his death, burial, and resurrection. But the fire to be kindled is, number one, our baptism with the Holy Spirit and fire. I love what his cousin says. I'm not worthy to carry his shoestrings or tie his shoes, and I baptize with, with, with water, but there's one coming greater than me who shall baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. There is a baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire because when the Old Testament Torah is talking about the laws and commandments and ordinances of Eliezer that says when you defeat an enemy, you get to take his shield, his sword, his ropes, his sandals, his, his uh, uh, hand uh, tools, all that belongs to him, the spoils belong to the victor. But before you can use them, you have to take a Gentile stuff and baptize it in water. And if the things can go through fire, such as the metal swords and stuff, baptize them not only in water, but baptize them with fire. The baptism of water and fire is as old as the Torah. It's completely understood. So when you're saved, you're baptized in water, but when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to empower you to witness, it's with the baptism of the Holy Spirit in fire. Jesus had to go through the fire called death, burial, and resurrection. He's quoting Psalm 22 on the cross, and he says, Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. My God, my God, why did you bachelor me? I came here to get married. Where's my bride? We don't hear what the Father says, but we have it explained by Paul. The Father must have said, Son, your bride's on the other side of the cross. Go through the fire to redeem and cleanse her. So for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Give God a praise offering. So Jesus' fire is the death, burial, and resurrection. But what we don't know as Gentiles is that that's Passover. And then 50 days later is our subject. You shall receive power on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit comes upon you. And the first thing we have to learn is that every Jew starting at Passover the next day began to say day one, day two, day three, day four, day five. It's called counting the Omer. Nobody even knows what we're talking about because that's Jewish. But it means every day gets closer to his promised return and his promise that when he returns, he's going to give us clarity on how to live as his wife. Not a woman in this room that 50 days prior to your wedding day didn't start counting the days. You want to know when summer's coming? Just ask a fourth grader. They'll tell you exactly how many days till the summer break. You ask a Jew, well, ask a teacher. They'll all tell you. So the Jews were supposed to go and tarry in the upper room. And the word tarry is totally 
un un misunderstood and not understood by us. The word tarry means spend the 50 days counting the omer. You go there in Jerusalem, start counting the days because I'm coming back in the power of the Holy Spirit. Then when you read the book of Acts, when it says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the word fully is referring to that was the 50th day. All of the omer had been counted. At Passover, they cleaned their house. I hope somebody gets excited sometime tonight. <laughs> but during the 50 days before Pentecost, you begin to clean the inside of the house. At Passover, you clean the outside. You get rid of leaven. But for 50 days, you keep introspect. You keep thinking inside. Lord, change me inside. Prepare me to be the bride. I want to be ready when he comes. The Jews were going from Egypt. Oh, please, people, get excited. And they got the Torah 50 days later. And they were counting the days that the God would give them their Magna Carta. That God would give them their ways to live. They were excited. They couldn't help but count the days. Only 20 more to go. Only 19 more to go. And God's going to speak to us and tell us how to live. Amen. You want the power of the Holy Spirit? Eat, live, then teach the Word of God. Be excited about getting up every morning and can't wait to get your hands on the living Word. Telling you, you get the word in you, the Holy Spirit will use you that day with a check, uh, with a clerk at a restaurant, uh, or a waitress at a restaurant. Somewhere down the path, it'll come out of you. The Holy Spirit will release his power. How many want to count the omer? Why? I'm going to baptize you on the day of Shavuot, on Pentecost. I'm going to baptize you with what? Fire. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, when Lori married me the wedding day, she was on fire. <laughs> That's how I remember it. I don't know if the lightning is coming. I know I was. She came down the aisle, and I couldn't stop talking. She was, but you be quiet. My dad's trying to marry us. I'm down at the altar talking to her about how beautiful she is. Shut up. My dad's trying to marry us. Well, she didn't say it that directly. That is, we are to become excited and count the days until I give you the power to teach my Torah on Pentecost. And what happened on Pentecost? When the Holy Spirit came upon them, what was released? The word of God poured out of the Apostle Peter. The word of God poured out of James. It poured out of Stephen. What happened? When they had the power of the Holy Spirit, when he returned as the Holy Spirit, they were released. When we count the Omer, we are demonstrating how excited we are to accept his word. What pleases him? Obeying his what? Word. Lord, I can't wait till you come and live with me. I can't wait till you tell me whether you like spaghetti sauce thin or thick. I can't wait till you tell me whether you like noodles that are... I don't know. I need to stop. What I know about cooking could be resolved in about a one-hour session at breakfast. If you like eggs, I'm your man. I can't even do the fries that go along with them. We know it worked because Acts 2.1 says when the day of Pentecost was fully come, the counting of the Omer was over, 
we know that it worked. I want you to praise God here. How do we know it worked? In Acts 2.41, this fisherman who earlier had denied Jesus to a little gatekeeper at the court trial of Jesus, suddenly empowered by the Holy Spirit, he had moved from the, the uh, Passover cleaning, getting saved, to the empowerment, Pentecost of the Holy Spirit. God had not only cleaned the outside up of this fisherman, how many know that for 50 days there was a cleaning up going on inside of Peter? And when he spoke with the power of the Holy Spirit, how many got saved? Why 3,000? Because it says they received the word. 3,000 were baptized. And according to Acts chapter 2, 3,000 were discipled. Billy Graham would love to have had this statistic. The statistic that the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association published was that only 7% of those that walked the aisle ever made their way into a church. How many like this 3,000, 3,000, 3,000? How powerful was Peter, who was mocked by the people because of his Galilean accent, who was illiterate and had probably not done more than his homeschool required, The shadow of the Apostle Paul, a highly intellectual man. He preaches one sermon and 3,000. How many know that this is power to witness when the results prove the point? Peter was filling himself with the word of God. And when you read his sermon in Acts chapter 2, it is the scripture after scripture after scripture after scripture. And it says 3,000 people were pricked in their hearts. What must we do to be saved? Now that's the power of the Holy Spirit. When people have their hearts pricked because you are using the word of God and getting out of its way. Some ask me why 3,000? Because in Exodus chapter 32 verse number 28 at the first Pentecost at Mount Sinai, how many died? God is so redemptive, whatever was lost, his mercy, he saves 3,000 Jews. Now here's another thing we have to throw in because... The day of Pentecost, counting the Omer, this means the barley harvest is over. So Acts chapter 2, you read in the scripture that the barley harvest ended. And the Bible always likens Jews to barley. You Gentiles start getting excited, start stomping your feet. Because from Acts 3 till now, because the book of Acts has never been finished, it's still being written in this room tonight. The wheat harvest began. Wheat in the Bible is likened unto Gentiles. And so at Pentecost, the high priest waves loaves of wheat. All right, we got the Jews in. Now let's go get the Gentiles. Oh, please. Jim, I don't know. None of these people are alive tonight. Now all of this instruction came to us about the Holy Spirit from Jesus before he was crucified. Now... What was his instruction after he resurrected but before he ascended? Here's his instruction. As I was sent, I came in the power of the... So I'm going to send you in the... As I have been sent, so send I you. The word sent in Hebrew is the word apostle in English. I was sent as an apostle, so I'm going to send you as apostles. <coughs> Apostello is the Greek for the word shalik, to send. 
In John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22, how did he send out his disciples? He breathed on them and said, receive what? The author and the leader and the preparer. You're filled with the word now. Receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know how you would have felt that day to see him in his resurrected body. But in Matthew 28, he says these words. All power has been given unto me. I had all power and I'm sending you like I came. I have all power. I'm giving it to you. Where does this all power come from? Daniel chapter 7. Stop believing that the Jews do not believe in a Godhead. They do. They believe in the Father. They call him the Ancient of Days in Daniel chapter 7. And in the Ancient of Days, Daniel 7, he gives his son, the Son of Man, all authority and power. Give God a praise offering with a hand clap tonight that his son has said, I have gotten all power. Then he gives us the great co-mission. His mission was come to what? Seek and save that which is lost. So he's inviting us to become part of the co-mission. As he came in the power of the Holy Spirit, you are now energized by the Holy Spirit to go, to teach, to baptize and disciple because what? I am with you. Say it with me. I'll never leave you and I'll never what? Forsake In Luke chapter 24, he told the disciples, go to Jerusalem. Count the omer. In Luke chapter 24, the key word here is in Hebrew, so I won't ask you to read it. But he says in Luke 24, you stay there and when the omer is over and the Holy Spirit comes, be endued with power. The word endued is the Hebrew word lavash. Be endued is literally be clothed. Put on my clothes. Let everybody you talk to mistake you for me. Wow. Oh, I don't I get excited. And I'm doing the preaching. Now, what does he do in Acts 1.8? This is our theme verse. What did he give us a promise to do? In order for us to witness, what was the promise? To what? To empower you. What was the promise? I'm going to empower you to what? To witness. And what is the word witness? Marturion. Martyr in English. I want you to give up your life and die... So that when you're talking to someone about me, only I will be seen. Be a dead man at the point of testifying. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that clear? It's not our way or the highway. It's not Presbyterian or Baptist way. It's not an altar call or confession or a catechism. I'm telling you, just use the word of God that you've eaten and devoured. And just stand there until the person sees Jesus. What does Christ want in the power of the Holy Spirit? He wants us to be his witnesses who will say exactly what he says. In order to preach his word, we are baptized in fire. We don't know what that means until you've ever been in one. A fireman, Southern California set a counter fire to keep the fire from moving and suddenly he was surrounded by fire. 
when they found him dead, he had no charring on any of his clothes or body. He was in a complete island with no burning around him. What killed him? I'm telling you, when a fire gets that intense, it sucks all of the oxygen out of the air. And he died of suffocation. When you get baptized with the Holy Spirit, the first thing you ought to notice, you're dead. Sucked all of Carl out of you. Every time I go into a restaurant, I talk to the waitress or the waiter as though they don't know Jesus. And it isn't long in the conversation. Lori will tell you, I may have embarrassed her a dozen times or more. But if they're Spanish, I speak to them in Spanish. Do you know Jesus? Where do you go to church? Who's your pastor? And sometimes I'm telling you, I know it's not me. Lori and I were sitting in a restaurant in a town called South Plains, Missouri, just above the Arkansas border, and the Holy Spirit moved on Lori to give the waitress $20. And when she did, as an act of kindness, the girl broke. Single mom, didn't know how to feed her family, was trying to save scraps from the meals she was collecting to take home to her family. She didn't know at the time, but I'm sure that when that girl told that story, she could not describe Lori at all. I'm sure her testimony had to be the Lord showed up at the restaurant tonight and fed my family. How many want to get lost in Christ and witness so clearly that the people who hear you see Jesus Christ? That's the power we're after. This can only be accomplished by people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now I've set up the third part. Because this is so much fun, you won't even be able to contain yourself. <laughs> Sections one and two were the warm-up. Are you ready for the beefsteak? How many want to receive the power of the Holy Spirit tonight to be a witness? Amen. How many are serious about this business of wanting to please the Lord Jesus yes. and get out of the way yes. so that the world can see Christ in you? Yes. That's what this is about this weekend. It's not about who can dance or shout the loudest. It's not about who can run and hoop and holler. It's about leaving this place determined to get into this book and devour it and then have the Holy Spirit destroy your flesh so much that when you begin to pour this out, nobody sees you anymore. Amen. That's what this is about. So we need to talk about what the Bible calls parallels. In the Bible, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 46, Paul says that the spiritual did not come first but the natural. And after that, the spiritual. Paul, you're a liar. Creation is the natural world, and it came from the what? Spiritual world. So Paul is not talking about Genesis chapter 1. He's talking about the condition of the people you're talking to. They live in a natural world. And we want them to embrace the spiritual world. So we're going to use what they accept, the natural world, to explain to them the spiritual world. Why does the natural world reveal the spiritual world? Because the spiritual world created the natural world. There's not an accident that an egg has a yolk, a white, and a shell, and it's three in one. Can you give God a praise offering at all tonight? You can see the Godhead in an egg. Amen. 
The spiritual and the natural are parallel because the spiritual was created in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Therefore, the spiritual can clearly be seen in the natural according to Romans 1.20. And I want us to read this aloud. Everybody, Romans 1.20 from the screen. King James, which came down to Mount Sinai from God <laughs> to Moses, who fortunately later translated it into Hebrew. <laughs> Read it with me. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. So that, no man has an excuse. Nobody ever told me. Men can see the spiritual in the natural. This particular chapter is about homosexuality. And God is really, through Paul, railing on that sin. And of course, I can't use the word publicly because I am subject to hate speech laws and criminal charges. But what I came here to do tonight is not to put down one group or another because homosexuals are not the problem. The problem is sin, and everybody in this room has enough in you that God has to deliver you from it, and everybody said amen. amen. To be guilty of one is to be guilty of all. Therefore, I'm going to show you some parallels between the natural newborn baby and the spiritual newborn. You need to know what the person's going to look like when you lead them to Jesus. The natural reveals the spiritual. So we're going to get personal here tonight. And I'm unashamed to do that because I have a wife and what I didn't know she has taught me. I did not know, for example, that when a baby cries, the mother of that baby's breasts begin to lactate. No touch, no nothing, just when they cry. And if a woman doesn't have pads in her bra, she can be embarrassed in public because she could be walking through Walmart and another baby cries and suddenly... And that's why the Bible tells us to cry out to the Lord. He's ready to feed us. And that's why Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob knew God as babies. They called him El Shaddai, God the breastfeeder. Can you give God a praise offering? So newborn people, newborn people come to the first breast milk. The moment you come out of the womb. The first milk that is in a mother's breast is called colostrum. It's really not breast milk yet because it doesn't have the fat in it yet. But boy, does it have some stuff in it. Are you ready for this? So when you're telling something about Jesus to somebody and their eyes light up and they're about to get saved, they're like a newborn babe looking for a little bit of colostrum because there are ingredients in colostrum that are so important. Read it out loud with me. There are ingredients in colostrum that are so important, without which humans cannot 
physically properly deal. Babies who are not breastfed have greater potential for diabetes because they miss colostrum. There's no such thing in Similac or in formulas that have anything to do with colostrum. Only God's way is the best way. I think you see where I'm going. What is in colostrum and not in formula? Good question. I'm glad I asked it. First thing that's in colostrum is a high concentration of protein. It is so popular today that baseball players who used to inject steroids to hit home runs and got caught, they are now drinking the colostrum from cows and it does a better job than the steroids. Why? Colostrum is rich in protein and low in fat. What does a baby new need right out of the chute? Excuse me, I, that was kind of gauche. <laughs> I used a West Texas term and I realized that I need that back. Uh, pretend I didn't say that. Boy, you live in West Texas long enough. I lived in Lubbock, so please forgive me. What's the second thing that's in colostrum? Are you still with me? Antibodies. It's rich in antibodies. Why? The baby has never swallowed anything yet. It got all of its food from its mother. And the placenta and the umbilical cord were the internal egress and exit. I'm trying to get clever with my words now so I don't say it. Food intake and food outtake. Is that better? And so none of the GI tract from the mouth clear to the bowel has ever been used. It's pristine. It's unprotected. And when it comes out into this world that is filled with pathogens, diseases, excuse me for the word pathogen, if it breathes or swallows water, there's nothing in it to protect it from whatever's in that water that they just drank. So colostrum lines the GI tract with all of these antibodies. Is God good? Can you ever praise God in this place? Every new baby, that first drink, is taking care of that entire digestive system and causing the baby to have its first stool. It's magnificent because if you don't get that, that's why later in life you're subject to diseases. You didn't get that start of protection that God affords through the breast milk. Nobody's excited yet. Here's the one I like. In clostrum are growth factors. There are elements inside of there that have such compound names, it's stupid to even say them. But the content of colostrum, after the GI tract is lined, little tummy which is only the size of a cherry or a walnut. That's why they have to eat so often. And everybody that has a basketball for a tummy said, thank God I don't have to eat every two hours. How many mothers remember those days? Because they're trying to get growth factors. They get that from the colostrum. I hope you see where I'm going. 
The fourth thing that comes in colostrum is life cells. The mother is actually feeding that baby inexhaustible life cells, living cells, not found in Similac. There's no life in that stuff. But in the breast milk of colostrum, it's filled with life. Oh, folks, we're paralleling the what? The physical to the spiritual. And then you're going to love this one. You all don't call it tryptophan unless you're a pharmacist. You call it, what's the little pill that's taken naturally that puts people to sleep? Melatonin. How many know what melatonin is? Tryptophan is the fancy word. In, in the, in the <laughs> excuse me, colostrum is this tryptophan that puts them to sleep. It makes them mellow out. Because that is vital to the digestive process. I'm not going to mention Jim by name. I'll just refer to Tom as his son. Then you'll figure out who I'm talking about. <laughs> but you ought to see this man after a hot fudge Sunday. <laughs> it's loaded with tryptophan or something. Because Jim can lay back with the best of them. Am I right, brother? A good meal. How many... I'm not going to ask June about Jean. How many go to the green recliner after a big meal? Let me see who you, especially just after the dessert was banana pudding. I want to see who you guys are. The baby needs that. Because if the baby doesn't sleep, it spends more energy than it just took in. Oh, does God know everything? Are you still with me? Without these five things in colostrum, physical problems develop later in life. Now, let's parallel. Why am I getting power to witness? Why is the Holy Spirit here this weekend impressing upon you to get into this food stuff? Because spiritual newborns should be breastfed the sincere milk of the word of God. And churches rarely have a program dedicated to taking newborn people through this stage. And that is why they never develop spiritually. Just because a new convert is 55 years old does not mean you set him in a 55 year old adult Sunday school class where the teacher is talking from Ezekiel about the wheel in the middle of the wheel. He is a babe in Christ. You don't have a program. You have elders and leaders in your church that are nannies who take a new convert and work with them as long as it takes to get them off of spiritual colostrum till they can start desiring things like rice and puddings, and carrots, and moving them along. Most people get saved and then just survive. And they're all watching us, full of the Holy Spirit, and dancing, and singing, and shouting, and nobody's a nursemaid. Nobody's a nanny. 
Folks, you want a program for your church that works? You want to change no converts in the last year? You want to change that? Start raising up nannies in your church and watch what happens. Nannies will lactate every time a baby cries. <laughs> Somebody comes to your church, just have them latch on. And everybody said, Amen. how many are getting it? Why? There are ingredients in the sincere milk of God's word that are so important without which humans cannot spiritually properly develop. Now, where does this come from? 1 Peter chapter 2. As newborn babes, verse 1 through verse 3, desire, say it with me. Desire. The what? The word sincere is the word colostrum. Desire the sincere milk of the word of God. As a newborn babe, what they're looking for is spiritual colostrum. 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 1 through 3 tells you it's not called colostrum. The verses in the Bible that a newborn needs are the verses that deal with the grace of God. Because it says in Peter, if you have tasted the sincere milk of the word, that the grace of God is good. That the graciousness of the word. So it's very clear in Peter that the simple verses about grace are the ones that a new convert needs to hear. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that was not of yourselves. It was a gift of God, not of your works. Because men would boast. You are what you are by the grace of God. Psalm 103. Thanks be unto God who does not deal with us according as our sins deserve. But as a father who pities his son. He forgives us and he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. How many like this verse? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and what? Yes. To forgive us our sins and to what? This is the colostrum that people need to hear, not wheel in the middle of the wheel. Not a month-long conference on prophecy. You had people in your church sitting there on the ready with over a hundred colostrum verses ready, memorized, filled with it inside. And then when the opportunity comes, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll tell somebody about Jesus and you'll begin to nurse them what they need. To change from one world inside the womb in sin in darkness. To the new world through the birth canal called Christ Jesus our Lord. Into a kingdom of light. Everything becomes new. Amen. They have never used the word fellowship. All of their life they've been partying down. Don't give them the vocabulary of a 20-year-old Christian. Start with, we're going to party down tonight at the church. Start with colostrum and transition them. Anybody excited about this? Yeah. I'm trying to give you instructions. Because what does God's grace provide? I need a reader now. We're going to close with reading publicly. I need someone to stand and read 1 Corinthians 10, verses 1 through 3. What does God's grace provide? Colostrum provided protein. What does God's grace provide? Somebody please rise. 
1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3. And whoever reads it, read with a very loud voice and turn to the audience so that everybody can hear you. 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 3. Is he on the right passage? First Corinthians 10? Yes. Did you get through 3? Yes. Now somebody read to us Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Sometimes I may have put the wrong verse in there. That's why it sounded strange to me. Titus chapter 2 verses 11 and 12. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 3. They did all eat the same spiritual meat. I see it. It is the correct verse. Sorry. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Do you remember what Colostrum did? It lined the GI tract to keep you from sin. How many know that there's sin and Satan and sickness out there in the world? What teaches a new convert to say no to these things? Read it. We preached just the opposite. I was reared in a church that just absolutely told me what was sin. If it ended in ing, we didn't do it. Smoking, dancing, kissing, drinking, dating, lying. No. What tells you to say no? Colostrum. You give grace to a new convert. And it won't be long before the author of that book will start changing their appetites. Amen. Can you say praise God at any time? Amen. What does it say in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3? We'll have this one read. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. You want me to read 1 Corinthians again with the meat in it? Yeah. I want them to hear verse 3. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and we were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did all eat the same spiritual meat. The reason why I want that last verse there is because the word Egypt in Hebrew is the word Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim is not Familiar to us. Mitzrayim means birth canal. When they came out of Egypt, they came out in the blood and the water, and then they ate the spiritual meat. The protein. That's why I wanted that verse. Now we're at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Why don't people grow spiritually? They just sit in a church forever and they can't even find the book of Ruth. I had to apologize to an audience one time preaching in an Anglican church. I said, turn to the book of Ruth. We were going to read chapter 4, verse 11. And a half an hour into the sermon, they were still turning pages. They couldn't find it. They were going to the index. They were looking everywhere for Ruth. 
I got so frustrated, I says, now our next verse is from 2 Hezekiah 5, 6. <laughs> I had to ask God for forgiveness. Pages never stop. Desire the sincere milk, the colostrum, that you may what? Grow thereby. What's in colostrum? Growth factors. What's in the grace scriptures? Growth factors. I love it when a new convert comes to me like Gil Zavala did in 1968 in La Crescenta, California, big husky Navy. Uh, uh, what's the third level? Somebody give me the rank in the Navy. I, I almost said something from the Army. Uh, you, he starts out as a seaman, and then he, what's the equivalent as a sergeant in the Navy? Petty off, chief petty officer. Big, burly, cigarette-smoking, pell-mells, 100 millimeters long. He found Christ. He comes the next Saturday to the church workday, and he's up cleaning the big uh, uh, ceiling bulkhead, whatever you call it. It was, I don't know what it was, a big, big board. The beam, he was getting it ready to resand and He's saved six days. Pastor, care if I smoke? The place became silent. The only job I was allowed to do was to clean the scuff marks off this tile. And I had a room full of deacons and elders. The session was in session. And this was a no smoke, don't spit, don't chew, don't go with girls that do church. And I said, yes, go right ahead. I nearly got fired. He got down off the ladder, went outside, lit up a pell-mell. I thought he was going to smoke inside. He smoked outside. He came back and he said, I've got to go home. And I looked out and he was vomiting on the parking lot because a cigarette made him so ill. If I'd have told him, no, you can't smoke, it had never grown. Holy Spirit took the habit away from him. I don't have to preach against anything. I have to preach for something. Jesus Christ and him crucified. How many know that colostrum causes growth? So do grace scriptures. Number four. What does colostrum do? Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. Somebody read it for us. If colostrum does something in the natural, what does Grace scriptures do in the spiritual. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Wow. I love it. I love it says the book is alive. This book is alive, so much so that when Lori reads to me when we're driving around or home as we pray in the mornings, I'll stop her and say, read that again. I've never heard that before. How many are sure that the Holy Spirit adds things the last time you read it? He's added something. If colostrum has life cells in it, I got news for you. God's grace has got life in it. And it is different. If I preach on salvation, someone is likely to come up and thank me for the sermon on healing. Why? This has life in it that has nothing to do with me. 